So we have been asking in this time of pandemic, in this time of lots of disorientation um, in our culture, culture of disorientation surrounding questions related to racism and being just to all ethnicities, um, questions about human sexuality, human uh, questions around how to be uh, fair with our world as it has been given to us. And as Faith Church, we are also asking that question. Uh, some people have called it a, dis a time of liminality, liminal space, where we're, we kind of know that things as we knew it in church are not happening anymore, but we are not really sure what is to come. And I think we as staff and leadership at Faith Church feel that as well. But even in that disorientation, we know that God is faithful and true and powerful. And so in this time of disorientation, we return to our vision statement and our mission statement and seek to know who God is in scripture so that we can continue to move forward. So as Rob mentioned in his prayer, we've been looking at the gospel of all and specifically last week, we looked at that phrase from the three musketeers, all for one and one for all. We saw that Jesus prayed for us as Rob prayed, that we would all, united as Jesus seekers, be united around one triune God who loves us with great wonder, united then as one church for all the world, seeking to bring all into relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we're going to look at another story of all people. And that one comes to us in Matthew 22, as I mentioned, Jesus' story of uh, the wedding banquet. So I invite you to open your phones or your Bibles to Matthew 22. So Matthew 22, like John 17 last week, is um, telling the story of Jesus last week before he dies on the cross. He has come into Jerusalem in honor. He has unsettled the people, an entire, the entire city, in fact, because they do not know what sort of a king this is. But then he continues to provoke. He goes into the temple. He upsets all the business that's happening there. He riles up the religious leaders by doing so, but then also by telling very particular stories that are meant to provoke. And this story here in Matthew 22 is the third of those stories. So here is the word of the Lord. Jesus spoke to them again, them being the Pharisees predominantly, in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had already been invited by the banquet to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. 
He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all, there's the word, all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus' listeners, the religious leaders, did not like Jesus' story. Because they could tell by the pattern and by the relationship they'd had with him for three years that he was talking, first of all, about them. The king hosting this wedding banquet is God. They knew that. They had come to understand that Jesus thought he was God's son. And they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that they were the ones God had invited to the banquet. They were God's chosen people. They had been told that in synagogue after synagogue, temple after temple, they were God's people. And so they could tell that Jesus was chastising them in his story. They are the people in Jesus' story who reject the king's invitation. Who rejects an invitation to a wedding, much less a king's son's wedding? Nobody refuses that sort of invitation. Jesus is chastising them strongly for refusing to be part of the community he is setting up on earth. And not only did they refuse, did you notice there's a different version of this parable, but in this parable, they don't really refuse for important reasons. One goes to his field, another goes to his business. They're just too busy with their regular life to come to the banquet. Once again, Jesus is almost making fun of them for the reasons they have for not coming to the banquet. And then there's this dramatic turn where not only do some just go off and do the stuff that they've been busy with, they actually take the messengers from the king and kill them. Now, this seems unbelievable. It's hard to imagine on our culture, certainly. And I think even there, Jesus is indicating perhaps what the religious leaders will soon do to him. Kill God's messenger who happens to be actually God's son. 
The Pharisees probably also don't like the story that maybe the king is overreacting by killing those who kill his messengers. But I suspect that within Judaism, that wouldn't have been too surprising. There was a sense eye for eye. Now, another reason that Jesus' listeners, the Pharisees, wouldn't have liked this story would be that they have always been the gatekeepers. They have been able to decide who gets into the synagogue, who gets into the temple. They set the rules and they are charged with keeping them and making sure everyone else does. So the second part of Jesus' story that they dislike is that it seems fine for the king to invite everyone. Did you hear that? All the people, the bad as well as the good, and you can imagine the Pharisees' blood boiling over that. I wonder how you responded to Jesus' parable. I wonder if we can find ourselves, first of all, in the Pharisees. First of all, in that question about do we reject the king's invitation for apparently maybe even unimportant reasons. It makes me think of a friend of mine. His name is Terrence. He now serves as a church planter. But when he graduated from seminary, he shared his faith story. And he, he tells a story of being kind of a typical CRC lad growing up in Niagara region, embraced by his community, doing the Sunday school and the catechism classes, learning and worshiping, experiencing community. But he said when he turned 19, he just kind of got bored with church. He stopped coming. He drifted away not only from the community, but also from God himself, slowly making decisions that did not honor God, and he could admit now are not particularly wise. Overindulging, he says, in work, alcohol, and unhealthy friendships. I think the tricky part about Jesus' parable in this respect is that those reasons for rejecting the wedding invitation are not very dramatic. These are just life reasons. And I think even for those of us who show up in the building on Sunday morning or those who are participating online, there's a sense that when things are going well, we can put the king off in his corner, off in his heaven, and live life without much thought about what he's thinking or what he desires of us, what sort of invitation he might have for us. This story and the Pharisees' response also made me think of me. I grew up as a rule follower, and I still struggle with focusing more than I should on rules. And so I can understand that desire to set some parameters for what a faith community should look like. I understand what the Pharisees are thinking when they get upset about all the people being invited. I admit that as a church leader, it's, it's easy for me to think that church would just be simpler if everyone in the chairs, everyone participating looked like me, married with children, stable income, 
relatively strong support system, very strong support system, sins that are generally pretty easy to hide on a Sunday morning. I wonder if you feel that way as well. What seems right to you about membership in church? Is it something about how people look or how people act? Maybe you're not a rule follower. Maybe you want nothing more than to see this place embrace the fullness of what God has in store for it. And yet you're afraid of what it might be like to invite someone into this community, whether they would feel the embrace of the community, whether it's your gay friend or family member, or the neighbor rough around the edges, or the colleague who's never opened the Bible as far as you can tell, or maybe a recent immigrant from Africa, or a refugee from Pakistan or Afghanistan. Would our church be able to embrace someone like that? A third part of Jesus' story that might feel troubling to us is what the king does, first of all, to those who kill his messengers, and then to the one who is not wearing wedding clothes at his feast. It seems harsh. And to the extent that this king's behavior responds to God's behavior, corresponds to God's behavior, we're not sure what to do with that. I'll come back to that. What I've come to see is that despite what the Pharisees might think, despite what rule followers or drifters like me and Terrence might think, Jesus' story offers grace to anyone who needs it, which turns out to be everyone. The Pharisees weren't happy, but just imagine those who are on the margins of society listening to Jesus' story. For them, this story was good news. The king invited all people, good and bad, into his banquet. They had only to say yes to be counted worthy to come in. And I hope that it's not too much a stretch for you, for me to say that we too are at this wedding banquet. We are invited to this Lord's Supper table, not because of what we've done, but because God has been persistent, even whiny in extending an invitation over and over and over to us, showing his vulnerability, showing how much he loves us. The king in this story sends out invitations three times. Come to the banquet. He does not want it to be empty. And so we too are here at the banquet because of his invitation, because he won't let us live with our poor excuses. We would have too many excuses. And ultimately, we are the ones found on the street corners, the bad, as well as the good. The other good thing is that not only are we here at God's invitation, but we have wedding clothes because he has given them 
to us. The end of the parable, that's, there's that disturbing interchange where the king says to one of the guests, wear your wedding clothes. And the guest is speechless. There's absolutely nothing to say in response, which leads people to say, as they think about this passage, someone on a street corner, someone just going about their business pulled into this wedding banquet, they wouldn't have wedding clothes. When they come to the banquet, they would receive wedding clothes from the king so that they can be properly dressed. And so we too can assume that it is only because of God that we have the clothes ready to be at this banquet. It is only because that one guest refused to put on what was given to him that the king sent him away. Now, scholars do disagree. Well, what do those wedding clothes refer to? Are they righteousness? The righteousness that we believe comes through faith, Jesus' righteousness through his sacrifice on the cross? If that's the case, those wedding clothes are given to us through Jesus Christ. Others say, no, Matthew focuses very much on righteousness. He is showing Jesus, preaching a gospel of grace, yes, but also working to be righteous as a response to God's grace. And if that's what the wedding clothes mean, then we can say, too, we get those wedding clothes because of the Holy Spirit working with us. Yes, we need to say yes to Jesus' righteousness, yes to the Holy Spirit's process of transforming us. But ultimately, those wedding clothes are from God. So what do we do with that king's judgment at the end? To the poor fellow who apparently has refused to put on the wedding garments, the king says, tie him, send him out into utter darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Romans 8 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So even for that fellow who is cast out, he, he is not far from the love of God. But perhaps his experience is one of separation, one of torment, because he cannot accept that love, that king's invitation. I don't think I've got that one all figured out. The scholars don't either. But I think what this parable tells us is God's huge invitation to all and our responsibility to receive it, to receive that invitation and do all we can to come in into the feast to celebrate with God, with his son. So look around us. 
we have been brought in by God into a community of hospitality, of welcome. The marriage feast indicates nourishment, indicates friendship, true unity and communion. Perhaps you need to be convinced to accept that invitation. And so to you, I say you are invited. If you are struggling under the weight of your sin, Jesus wants nothing more than to offer you wedding garments that make you ready to dance and sing and witness all the beauty of a wedding feast. But for those of you who are experiencing that gladness, at least on your good days, I ask who might we invite to join us into this marriage wedding feast? God is already at work. The Holy Spirit is already at work way beyond what we are capable of. But he invites us to be part of his invitation to all the bad as well as the good. So let me tell you a story about how this might look. You remember Terence. He said that it was when he was 25, about six years of drifting, that God got his attention. He was in a single car accident because of his own foolishness, driving too fast. And so he spent weeks at home recovering. And it was there he started thinking about his life. God got a hold of him and reminded him of how much he loves him. Terence writes, I began to pray to the God I had talked to as a boy. I developed an insatiable thirst for God and his word. And in my time with God, he convicted me of sin. I asked him for forgiveness. And I fell into the loving arms of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Terence knows that he is at the wedding banquet through God's grace. And now he is working in Thorold at a church plant called The Table, where he is inviting more to the table. Terence works for Resonate Global Mission, which is an agency that we support. He is inviting others to the table. Recently, Resonate told a story of Terence in Thorold. He said that Terence met Brian six years ago. They crossed paths outside of the school gym where his church community was having meals. Terence smiled and introduced himself. He's a friendly guy, but Brian didn't even respond. He just stared back at Terence and walked away. Over the next few weeks, Terence kept running into Brian. Terence listened to Brian's story. He came from a broken home. He was addicted to drugs. He was part of a gang, and he'd been to jail a few times. But he was also interested in the table's community. The table currently has four small groups of 10 to 25 people who come together to eat, to pray, to read the Bible, to be in community. So weeks passed, and Brian started attending the table's gatherings. He became more curious about Jesus in those relationships asking questions, reading the Bible. And one day he decided to follow Christ. 
Terrence has seen God working powerfully in Brian's life. The crazy thing is that this story continues because now Brian has started smiling and chatting and discipling others in his life. So the story from Resonate tells about Brian's relationship with Sully and how Sully has opened up to Brian and been willing to come into the table's community because of Brian and before him, Terrence's willingness to be big in their invitation. So I invite you to close your eyes just for a couple minutes. Terrence's invitation, Brian's invitation, those are the sorts of invitation that God invites us to be part of. So who might we invite? Who needs to know God's invitation to this banquet? In your mind's eye, while your eyes are closed, think of your neighbors. Walk up and down your street or the hallway of your condo building, your apartment, your res hall. Who needs to know God's invitation? Or think about your workplace. Think about those you interact with in a typical week, if not at your workplace, your classroom, your grocery store, your library, the gym, your hair salon, the sports field, the sidewalks you walk with your pet. Who needs to know God's invitation? And then consider your family and friends. Chances are you have already been in prayer for them. Who needs to know of God's invitation to the banquet? Who might have already said no or been told not to come? God is inviting all. And it doesn't matter how many invitations it takes to convince them to come. God is persistent, and we can be part of that. Tonight, home churches start and I am inviting home churches, but I invite all of you, whether or not you participate in a small group, to pray deliberately and intentionally over the next month for at least one person that God puts on your heart. Who needs to be invited? Who is part of the all that God desires us to be part of?